I'm chairing tonight's meeting. I'm Claire Fox. I'm the director of the Academy of Ideas. And as that little slight glitch might have indicated, I'm so useless at chairing that I didn't know what was happening. And so somebody else is pulling the strings and controlling the technical side. So rest assured, technically it'll be fine. I will try and get through the chairing bit. Listen, it really is a pleasure to have you all here um, on this discussion. Welcome, uh, love under lockdown, are we uh, um, finished with intimacy? It's a kind of Valentine's Day event of sorts. There's obviously been a huge amount of discussions about what lockdown will mean for singletons or people who are having affairs, meeting new people. The whole kind of issue of intimacy is fraught with difficulty if you can't leave your house and you can't mingle. And we're obviously in a situation where even hugging uh, in a platonic fashion is against the law. So, you know, there's something to discuss, but you know, this could turn into a whinge about people's love lives. And that isn't the intention of why the Academy of Ideas would organize it. What we really wanted to do is to dig a little bit deeper and to think about what we've thought about intimacy in a period in which it's been effectively stopped. You know, a lot of people, I mean, you might wonder why I'm chairing it, because obviously I'm a bit of an old biddy, and a lot of these things are not of direct interest to me. But I think that people who are in family situations with young kids around have found that they haven't got any privacy, have got no uh, where to kind of go. There's no sort of possibility of um, developing any kind of a, a nuance in intimate relationships when you're stuck with the same person all the time. What on earth do you talk about? You're not doing anything. There's all sorts of challenges that we face. But we also want to look beyond lockdown. It's not just a, a do a lockdown discussion. Um, I, um, myself, have, we, you know, we've been thinking about this at the Academy of Ideas for some years, the, the rise of things like Tinder, uh, people kind of being nervous about starting relationships if they're not doing so uh, via uh, 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 apps su such as that. The problems of um, consent with compulsory consent classes for many students, for example, those kind of problems. And I've spent the last three or four weeks in the House of Lords, that in and of itself being an extraordinary moment, uh, discussing a new domestic abuse bill in which you'd think that all intimacy would inevitably lead to basically abusive, vile relationships and that all relationships, any intimacy is a threat, is a risk. And the discussions have been about how we must warn ever younger children that actually having relationships could lead to them either having themselves battered as they grow older or abused in coercive control fashion or emotionally bullied and so on and I thought I actually said yesterday for God's sake can we remember something called love and that maybe it's not all so bad and that there's some positive things in relationships so we've got a great panel that I'm going to introduce are going to kick, uh, kick off this discussion um, just to say a few uh, things about the technicalities of this uh, well first of all to note that the Academy of Ideas um, has been running throughout lockdown, even though we haven't been able to have face-to-face. -face. I mean, I suppose that 
that's part of the issue, isn't it? That we're all trying to do all of the things which require meeting up and real proper inter interaction and we're replacing them with technology like this Zoom debate. But anyway, we've carried on regardless and try to keep uh, our intellectual spirits not locked down by having these debates. We haven't furloughed any of the team. And so um, I'm obviously gonna ask you if you would uh, help us in any way you can. I appreciate that as we're about to enter something of an economically challenging time, people might not have much spare cash, but if you have, we'd appreciate it. And there'll be something in the chat about where to do that. But also if you want a more intimate relationship uh, uh, with the Academy of Ideas, we'd ask you to become an associate and give regular support to the project. Um, and we'd really like that. We, we try to do a range of different types of debates, anything from in conversations, book launches, uh, these kind of panel discussions. But we've also uh, recently launched a new initiative called Letters on Liberty. The first three were out just before Christmas. The new, the next three are out now on um, art, on sovereignty, um, and on growing up on, under uh, um, uh, lockdown. And uh, I really hope you read them. They're just uh, sort of short pamphlets trying to reimagine the arguments or develop new arguments for freedom that don't just repeat the old, standing on the shoulders of giants, very much in the spirit of the 17th century pamphleteers. They're short pamphlets. And we urge you to buy some of those, order them. Uh, we've actually made them not just available on Kindle, but actual artifacts. So they're beautifully designed uh, uh, little pamphlets uh, with designs by John Bowman uh, with a letter on each. That's why they're letters on liberty. So get them and uh, uh, use them as a basis for arguing or having something to talk to your intimate loved one about uh, by having an argument about the contents of those. Okay, let's get going. We've asked the speakers without any prescriptive idea at all about what any of them are going to say. Anything could happen. And uh, I think it's probably, I, I said this on Facebook, I think it's probably the good Catholic girl in me that's slightly mortified that lots of things might come about sex and things and I'm going to be cringing, won't know what to do myself. But anyway, um, but on, on, on the other hand, we've got four fantastic speakers, four people who have made a big impact on us when we've had them speak at, uh, 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 well, three of them who, when we've had them speak at the Battle of Ideas and obviously Ella, who I work with, who's always made a big impact on me. So let me introduce them. They're going to speak for five minutes. If you then want to join in, you can put your hand up. Once they've done their five minutes, I'll kind of have a bit of a conversation with them and draw out some of the themes. And then it's really, you know, this is an, a real opportunity to explore an issue in a different kind of a way. Okay, so the order in which they're going to speak, are we're going to have Samantha Davis first, who's a barrister. He particularly focuses on human rights and specialises in white collar crime and uh, uh, extradition and family law and is in the public sphere, has written for The Times, has been a regular on Sky News, commentator on uh, Women's Hour, and uh, spoke at the Battle of Ideas Festival on feminism in 2019, and also spoke at the BOI Charities Living Freedom uh, on human rights. And, I'm, and she's done a, a number of things with us, and I'm always really impressed with her insights. And I just think she'll really bring a lot of the issues that intimacy gets mad in at the moment are actually legal. She might reflect on that, but she could talk about whatever she wants. Um, but I'm delighted to have you here, uh, Samantha. Um, then we've got Ralph Leonard. Uh, Ralph is a writer and, and uh, contributor to Aero, to Unheard and to the NOTA Network. He writes on politics, culture, human rights, religion, international affairs, 
I, I, Ralph is one of my favourite cultural commentators at the moment. He critiques the existing left's embrace of identity politics, which is very much of the left, I think I can say. He's one of the foremost people, I think, one of the, the, the new, and he's got his own unique voice, uh, one of the people who's contributed most to establishing and upholding the legacy of the Enlightenment, and particularly its universal values. Um, and that's very important. But we didn't ask him here to do that, even though it's very important. But he's also on Twitter, if you follow him, been having a running commentary on what it's like under lockdown if you're single. So I thought, oh, we'll have something to say. And he's always got something interesting to say. So it's delightful to have Ralph. He's spoken at the Battle of Ideas several times. Uh, then we've got Emily Hill. Emily is the author of the wonderful book, Bad Romance, a collection of short stories that had rave reviews when it came out a couple of years ago, I think now. Uh, Julie Birchall called Emily the Saki of sex. And I'm so hopeless that I don't even know what that means, but it sounds so impressive to have Julie Birchall say that about you. Uh, she writes prolifically, has written uh, columns for, for everything from the Daily Mail, Grazia, uh, Spiked, The Guardian, The Spectator, Tatler. Uh, previously was a dating columnist for the Sunday Times Style magazine. And uh, Emily is always fantastically insightful on all things to do with relationships, especially how they fail. Uh, so she'll bring us certain, uh, you know, insights to that. Um, and uh, then, of course, we've got uh, Emma Whelan. Emma, Ella is the person who actually organised tonight, uh, not me. Uh, she actually is one of the organisers of practically everything we do, it seems to me. She was a co-convener of the last time we had the Battle of Ideas live uh, in 2019. We hope it will come back live again this year and she will be working on that. She uh, works at the Academy of Ideas. Emma is the, uh, God, I keep saying, God, we call her the wrong name. Ella is the author of What Women Want, uh, Fun, Freedom and An End to Feminism. She was an assistant editor at Spite. She now writes for The Critic, for The Telegraph uh, regularly. She's often on Sky Papers and uh, her main themes, I suppose, are women's liberation and free speech. And if you read her book on What Women Want, I think she reflects really brilliantly and thought provokingly on the whole issue of intimacy. So there are speakers, um, and I'm gonna ask uh, Samantha to just kick us off. They're not informal speeches, they're giving us some thoughts to get us going. So, Samantha. Good evening, thank you, Claire. Um, just hoping everyone can hear me, hopefully. Great, I'm unmuted. So thank you, Claire, and thanks a lot, Ella, for having me and organizing tonight. Um, great to talk about love um, in the lead up to Valentine's Day. I'm a bit disappointed, Claire, that you don't want us to, or don't want to listen to a whinge from all of us about love, but, but that may come. So brace yourselves, um, perhaps as we go down along the line. Um, but no, on a serious note, so Love Hurts is the theme um, for today's talk and discussion. And actually, um, there's so many ways and so many so many ways in which we can all unpick that and unpack it. So love hurts. I think, well, no one would deny that if you can remember being um, 14 or even remember being an adult now and going through sort of the, the mill. Um, and I mean, you know, we can only think about sort of Shakespeare's I star-crossed lovers, Romeo and Juliet, if I can just start with them, if that's not proof enough about how complex and complicated falling in love can be. And also, um, you know, one of the, the, the first things we could start with is, well, how do we just 
define love, you know? Is it infatuation? Is it seeing that guy when you're, you know, whatever age, at what, in whatever scenario, and absolutely guy, girl, fancying them? And um, is, is, it, is it something more? Is it the slow burn? Um, you know, how do we express that? And, and how are we allowed to express that? you know, um, particularly in this day and age? Um, and are you looking for long-term love? You know, which is particularly the area where, Claire, you might hear some whinging from, from, and we might from time to time from our friends as well. So kind of, you know, how, and how do we do that, particularly under lockdown? So um, I first thought I'd start with the question of dating because we, we're, we're talking here about the question of whether um, lockdown has basically put the kibosh completely on on dating um, and um, we, we can look at the period before lockdown but let's face it we're all particularly preoccupied with now and I just thought oh well yeah of course it has it's made it difficult because actually if we look if we look at the lockdown rules you've not been allowed to meet with a person outside of your household since pretty much the 26th of March on or off with some variations on outdoor meeting um, and some, some um, alleviation of the rules for Christmas time, et cetera, et cetera. And then a brief period in September when it looked like people could meet up and that soon very quickly came to an end. But how do we define dating? And actually, how has the word dating even entered the English language? I think is actually quite a relevant question because I think Americans have an idea of what they mean by dating, but what do we really mean by it? Um, because it's sort of, it's, it's, it's now entered our modern lexicon and modern life, but, you know, before it used to be quite simply fancying people, this might show my age, and then going out with them, and, and not really this kind of question of, oh, I'm dating, and kind of moving from one um, state to another, and that's when kind of relationships can seem to become a little bit more ill-defined, and then potentially that's when some of the questions, which, um, I only want to look at very briefly, but some of the things, issues concerning consent um, in relationships um, and specifically what are people consenting to, what are they able con to consent to, um, and those questions begin to arise. But I actually think we don't even need to go as deep as that and go to those extremes to find that the area of love is a complete minefield, particularly if you are searching for your partner to meet that ultimate life partner. And the question is these apps, how are they helping us? We, can we use um, Tinder, you know, um, uh, for example, one to name one of the most popular ones if I can. Um, and we know that Tinder gave rise to what we now, I think can commonly refer to as hookup culture. And is that, is that, um, you know, healthy, is it not? And I know I'm asking lots of questions here because I don't claim to have the answers. I mean, my position is very much that in love and when it comes to love, it's very much a personal matter. And we as individuals are the ones who have to take the decision as to what it is we want, what we are comfortable with um, and, and, and what we choose to do. Now, clearly, of course, surrounding love and, and particularly when it comes to the expression of love, physical expression of love, there are rules and regulations and, um, and there are laws governing how we can do that. 
Um, and people have some very strong views about some of those laws. Some of them we take as read. Um, perhaps the age of consent might not um, raise as many questions, but particularly, I know that the recent domestic abuse bill has led to a lot of discussion um, in certain quarters, particularly looking at so you know the impact of it uh, on the rough sex defence. But again, I'm really keen to stress that these laws, they exist to protect the weak. So it, it is very possible that a lot of people can read this and think, well, this doesn't really affect me, it doesn't really impact on me. Um, and I think that by and large, that is true for most of the population and most people most of the time. But actually, I think it's really important, no matter how self-assured, self-reliant and self-sufficient a person may consider themselves to be, that it's quite easy for people to very unexpectedly find themselves at the extremes of certain behaviours. And that is what the laws exist to protect us from. So um, that's going to be, I mean, that's, that's my, my headline point really when it comes to the laws um, and the way in which I think we ought to approach them and even consider them when we debate them. Um, has lockdown um, completely brought an end to dating? Has it brought an end to love? Actually, my, my issue with the whole thing and with, with not, not lockdown, because actually we need to look at what gave rise to the lockdown, is that the whole, this whole pandemic has brought to light, in my view, it's, it's, it's been a sort of stress test. It, it, it's, it's exposed some of the more serious fissures in our society um, that we are often able to paper over. Um, and those be those societal, economic, um, and in, in, in actually now what we're discussing, emotional. And I think that it's not the pandemic that has given, sort of um, brought, brought an end to uh, intimacy and, and challenge intimacy, um, as it were. I think we need to look at our modern lives and how our approach to modern life actually may be the greatest challenge to intimacy that there ever has been. You know, do, is hookup culture intimacy? Does intimacy have to be, for example, physical? Uh, are there other ways of developing intimacy that we may have begun to overlook um, because of the degree of freedom, and I'm not knocking it, that we currently have and are used to? So, um, yeah, I think, um, what am I saying? Well, I think clearly the pandemic has had an impact. I think actually the more greater impact, and I think that the pandemic um, brings to light is our humanity. Um, and I think that is for me the most important takeaway because where I think a lot of us are clearly um, very keen to perhaps stress our self-sufficiency, um, the pandemic has really raised the, the how fragile that self-sufficiency really is. You might be able to go for a drink, and, I, and I'm now talking about, let's call it filia, you know, friendly intimacy, drink in the pub with friends and go home, let's say if you do live alone, and feel actually quite self-satisfied and happy and, and complete within yourself. But it, when these things are taken away, little by little, we become, I think, more aware of how dependent we are on each other. Um, and um, to be corny and to round it off, people do say justice is what love looks like in public. Um, and, and so that kind of, ties, I suppose, yeah, links back to, to my job or what, and what I do. But 
more importantly, justice in the wider sense, social justice, this pandemic, I think what it really, um, it, it, it sets out in relief is how much we are all more related to and connected to each other and or ought to be. And that if one, one part of the um, um, machinery, as it were, the social machine is not functioning properly and within the social order, then actually, we, even if you think you're at several removes from it, you can soon find how much you might be impacted um, by that. So, um, yeah, um, I've not focused on the law. We can, we can bring no, that no, up. No, no, that's great. That's great. But yeah. No, I think, I think actually you've raised loads of, well, I've written loads of notes. So you've raised <laughs> loads of things there that I want to come back to. So uh, thanks. Thank that's you. a great start. Um, and actually, I think you raised sufficient things about the law and uh, already I know that your rough sex comment is already eliciting quite a bit on the chat but yes. actually it has been a big focus of, of, of public discussions but I thought actually you very subtly raised loads for us to talk about there okay so Ralph can I come to you next for your thoughts please okay uh thank you for having me and it's an honor to be participating in this discussion um so as for falling in love, uh, you know, Slavoj Žižek makes this point about the actual phrase falling in love. What does it mean to fall? He's specifically focusing on this word fall in love and how it can simultaneously be the most traumatizing thing to feel, also the most exciting, life affirming thing you can feel and this is the thing about love we sometimes sort of don't always understand because we always have this sort of very romantic soft very schmaltzy view of love in this sort of cheap romantic way but there is something about falling in love that is a little bit dangerous for example um if you read the novel by Goethe on um, Werther and where you know if you read his very long letters he is absolutely in love with his amour but if you read it it's you would you come with the impression that he is obsessive a bit very obsessive very he's complete slave to his emotions very selfish because he doesn't take into account the fact that Charlotte doesn't actually is in love with someone else and doesn't love him and he just cannot understand that and because of that you know not to spoil the story but you know he comes crashing down on the floor and just cannot find a way to deal with it um so so sometimes love we always have to sort of be able to grapple with these two dimensions of it and how us as human beings with reason and agency can sort of come to grips with it and how our desires sometimes come into friction with reality which as Schopenhauer once put it doesn't give a damn about your desires and how do you come to grips with that and I think this lockdown everyone's been 
obviously everyone's talking about how you know atomization and how we've become more lonely and it's much harder to meet people and um which is of course true but it's not the lockdown i think sort of is revealed that i think many of these trends have been going on before and we also you know and obviously there's been these debates about incels and fem cells and you know the so-called sex recession among young people but we also have to look at how the nature of relationships have changed in the past few decades and also the nature of marriage and um, cohabitation because in the past um, there was a certain view of marriage and love that predominantly was a union of two families but in the past few decades within a very specific community within the past few decades our notions of love are much more individualistic they're based much more on what on a pure relationship they're no longer about sort of pure transactionalism that's often been attached to traditional marriage so a woman would marry a man because she could you know raise her social status because that man had all the money and power and status and obviously because of you know women entering the workplace and earning their own financial power these dynamics have changed dramatically and because of this individualistic view of relationship also reflects you know the atomized more precarious society that has you know been developing in the past decades you know and it obviously changes how we have to grapple with these things and i'm not saying everything is bad or good like with progress there's always contradiction in it and society just has to find a way of um, coming to grips with it um, but moreover i think much, and, I, and i'm going to veer over into the more sexual aspects of it uh, because i think you can't talk about love without talking about sex and um and it's also the status of sexual freedom and you know because us modern people have more freedom to date and um consort with whoever we like you know without sort of the intrusion of tradition or you know uh uh, or restrictive social customs um but I'll, i do think that with that there's there is this fear of freedom as i think eric from put it um uh, that with this freedom there is a, a state of anxiety um, we're not always sure how to grapple with it since we're sort of on our own we don't really have tradition or custom to guide us or religion that would have been the guide and i think that's where a lot of this consent debate comes from that's like the new ethical concrete that's what we want to sort of attach our you know how we sort of dis distinguish between right or wrong or what is appropriate or inappropriate 
Um, and I think what one thing we do have to grapple with is that in this space of love or the world of sex, there is something a little bit dangerous and Mephistophelian about it. And how, um, and this is what makes it impervious to reason and what makes it dangerous and devastating when it goes wrong, but it's also what makes it so exciting and life affirming and ego fulfilling when it goes right and when we get what we want out of it. And so I think that's sort of the contradiction we have to face with it in lockdown or out of lockdown, especially. Brilliant. So, I mean, first of all, you can't do any wrong now because you mentioned Goethe's The Umberta. So that's, that gets us in. That's, that's like one of the, that is the study of love. That's so timeless. And yet, I think your, your historic context also gave us that sense of what changes. And I really like that. Um, or what's changed in the restraint. Anyway, I really enjoyed your comments. So thank you very much, Rob. Um, and I think that that idea of dangerous love, why it's dangerous and why it changes, and maybe us looking for the, the constraints of the past, I think those are really important things for us to explore. So uh, very useful. Thank you very much. Okay, so um, Emily. Hi, can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, great. Okay. So um, I'm accustomed as I am to public speaking. This is what I wrote. Um, if you want uh, me to be articulate, you'll need to read me at Spiked. Um, because I am useless at debating, as will become clear. Uh, you can blame Ella. Um, yes, there will be jokes, so I hope you laugh at them. Anyway, um, if you're single in lockdown, you'll Bill Murray in Groundhog Day every day, except the day the universe picked isn't 2nd of February, it's Valentine's Day. And so you'll Bill and Stuck, not out reporting with Rita, but alone in a room on your own. The salvation of love does not exist, in limbo hell. Love is like a virus, it can happen at any time. That was Mayor Angelou's view. But the government has been failing to eradicate a virus for almost a year. Viruses spread between human beings, so you're all alone and love can happen to you never. Um, unless you're really into virtual dating, in which case you're in heaven right now, virtual dating makes me want to die so I don't have to virtual date anymore. Uh, so if you are in love, lockdown is probably great. I wouldn't know, I stand no chance of catching it. Um, but uh, Love Under Lockdown was the title, so I've dealt with that. Um, if you are alone, you are alone. There is no love. End of debate and I win. Next, are we finished with intimacy? Yes. There is no intimacy in this brave new world because what is essential to love is touch and smell and taste, hugging, kissing, scent, uh, nakedness, sweat, marriage, babies, and none of these things transpire on Zoom. Uh, most of them, I'll refer to Samantha, but a large variety of them are actually illegal. Um, so I've swanned in and I've told you all the answers and I'm obviously drunk, so that's improving everything. But you can ace the test at the end, uh, which is a very bad idea. Um, so you must treat everything I tell you as fake news, wrapped in misinformation inside a conspiracy theory. However, I have proof. In the run-up to Valentine's Day, I get about 10 press releases a day 
which make me confident of the arguments I am making, so I want to share them with you. Uh, the last one, I, I got it an hour ago, and that really pushed me over to the edge to drinking the entire bottle of wine. So I think we all enjoy it too, and please raise your glasses with me now. Shot. Um, the last, uh, so 42% of Americans will find someone more attractive if they have the COVID-19 vaccine. 27% would have sex with a sex robot. 18% are planning on buying sex toys for Valentine's Day. Um, when corporations try to brand Valentine's Day as a time to celebrate self-love, you know capitalism is fucked as regards selling crap to people who want to say I love you. Anyway, there are two so brilliant, I need to give them the last word. Uh, okay, this is where my visual aids come in, so um, I hope you enjoy them. Um, for singles, Valentine's Day can be a simple and cruel reminder that they are alone. This one reads. Uh, here it is. I hope you can all see it. Yes. Um, so, um, so anyway, and, and basically, so this is to advertise Singles Awareness Day instead, which is on Monday. And, and this is obviously the girl celebrating it. And look at her because she's so, so happy. So on Monday, I'm going to report her to Matt Hancock because that is not a British beach in February and she needs to go to jail for 10 years. I think we can all agree on that one. Anyway, to help celebrate, whether it be kicking back in the bath or splashing the cash on something no one else is going to buy you, this list of gifts for you will give you some inspiration. And that's what I'm here for, ladies and gentlemen, to give you inspiration. So here we go. This is, uh, this is, are you looking to kick back and relax this Singles Awareness Day? Look no further than the Ignite Lavender CBD Bath Bomb. If that doesn't get you going, put a smile on your face and turn that frown upside down with White's non-peroxide teeth whitening kit in the comfort of your own home. This is my second favorite. You can look, but you can't touch the perfect gift to yourself to bring some cool lighting into your home. And for him, I don't know whether you can see that. Feeling a bit of a prick this Singles Awareness Day. Um, you can buy a cactus. Care instructions try to make him think he's in the desert. Um, and and this is this is the the pricey option. One hundred nine pounds. Missed out on a rose from a lover. Buy yourself a couple and stick them in this machined plate. Um, so I think that proves my point, and I defy everyone else to beat that. That means you, Alice. But my absolute favorite was this one, which is clearly aimed at those who have indeed found love. Um, become a bin man and ride in a bin truck, ultimate Valentine's gift. Bonus will be, will also teach your partner the importance of taking the bins out. Experience the ultimate driving thrill with this divert.co.uk bin truck driving blast. Is your partner bored with their normal car? along with all the mundane things like acceleration and being able to conduct a three-point turn without blocking a road for three hours? Or perhaps they simply want to live out that childhood fantasy of being a bin man. Then this experience is the perfect chance to go for a ride along with one of our drivers and experience the life of a bin man. Mark Hall from divert.co.uk says, you will go out in one of our famous purple trucks after the tough decision of what to pack in your lunchbox, buckle up and enjoy the thrilling miles. Sit back and help co-pilot the rubbish truck 
and take on the challenging straights and turns. And if you're lucky, your driver may let you use the hydraulics and tip the rubbish out. To book, simply visit divert.co.uk and fill out a form. The price is just £99. Spaces are extremely limited. So um, I can read the, if anybody wants to ask in the chat, I'll give you the uh, URL again. So anyway, the second I read that, I laughed so hard. Maybe, maybe nobody else gets the joke. Um, but I just really, 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 really hope that one day somebody loves me enough to buy me that £99 ride of my life because that is what I want. I would bloody love to go in that bloody, I would fucking love it. Anyway, um, but failing that, if I fail for another year, frankly, even their other Valentine's products, which are in the editor's notes with uh, images of purple bin trucks and the spokesperson's personal phone number is uh, other Valentine's products, which is bin your ex for good and get free Prosecco and chocolates. So that would be better than being a middle-aged woman on the precipice of infertility going mad in her parents' spare room. Thank you, Emily. No, so there's so much there, isn't there? She's such a wit. First of all, I'd like to do the bin man thing. I yeah. quite like the I like quite like the idea of that. But that's probably because romance is dead for me. Oh, I can't imagine why it would appear for anyone else. But anyway, um, somebody just put in the chat a, a, an interesting point following on from you, which is maybe this year's Valentine FOMO, is that how you say it? Fear of missing out's over because everybody's in the same boat. So everyone's just miserable. I actually think, I think can I say something back? Yeah. I actually think I know how to cope. I've been I've been single on Valentine's Day for nine years. Yeah. I am a <clears throat> But I do I do think there's something in that. But I but I also thought when you were some of the interesting themes to pick up on you then are partly, you know, there's always a kind of debate every Valentine's uh, day about commercialization, you know, are we kind of and so on and so forth. But I thought that your kind of the self-love stuff it long predates lockdown this idea that what you've got to do is love yourself a kind of narcissism but based on what you remember what ralph said obviously to a certain extent falling in love has you think it's about somebody else but it's actually about yourself as well so lots of nice things for us to to come back on i've got loads of questions for after okay ella final formal bit great thanks claire um i'm not as i'm not as good as jokes not as funny as emily so um bear with me but I too was thinking about the fact that intimacy is one of the most dangerous things to get involved in, you know, never mind jumping out of planes or racing in cars, or weekend benders, or actually even pandemics, opening yourself up to love is a terrifying and sometimes life-changing experience. And I, at Cards on the Table, have often struggled with the idea of whether our approach to love has changed, because on the one hand, stats show us that, yes, younger people uh, particularly Gen Z is a more likely to be intimate, they're less likely to be intimate in the flesh and kind of preferring to uh, express their amorous feelings via sex. But then on the other hand, uh, any trip to, you know, a village hall putting on a crappy disco or Tiger Tiger in Leicester Square will cure you of any doubts that the young generation are afraid of necking in public. Um, I think while sexual attraction and intimacy might be dangerous, it's also true to say that young people um, and old have pursue it, pursued it for centuries. Um, there are some obvious ways in which our approach to intimacy has changed. The rise and influence uh, of, of political power of contemporary feminism, though not necessarily based on any kind of popular authority, 
has utilized movements like and moments like everyday sexism discussions and panics about lad culture and most recently of course the me too movement to reframe really and reshape past notions about sex and dating uh, mainly between heterosexual couples as simply problematic and something that needs to be shunted to the to the you know back drawers of history being approached uh, flirted with or actually even god forbid chatted up without prior consent is seen as some kind of affront to your sexual freedom particularly if you are a woman consent classes have been instituted at universities we all know this uh, to teach young people about how to have consensual sex and experimentation actually even as a concept is frowned upon and in some cases criminalized but again i'm i think i'm torn between how infectious contemporary feminist conservative approach to love has been because you know you have to ask the question when it comes to men and women's relationships has it made men more afraid of charging up to women at bars uh, and I can tell you that even just anecdotally, it's a well-known fact to men among many women my age that, you know, it's it's been all but impossible to even get a wink for, or a, let alone a kind of an approach at a bar long before Me Too kicked off, as Clara's mentioned, you know, with social spaces like pubs and clubs and community halls and all that kind of thing being closed down, late night licensing or nightlife being shut down uh, and alcohol being treated as a kind of a an evil which poisons every interaction i'm thinking of joe biden uh, in relation to title nine laws in the u.s stating very clearly that drunk sex is rape uh, the scene for sparks of intimacy have been dwindling for a, a very long time and out of necessity i think many men and women gay straight have turned to dating apps to try to recreate the opportunities one might have experienced in a bar once upon a time and then, of course, there is the pandemic in which intimacy of all sorts, sexual, romantic and paternal, has been, for good reason, restricted as a means of protecting each other from the spread of infection. But I think that what has been most interesting, and some of the previous speakers have touched on this, about the experience of intimacy being made illegal in the last year or so, and there, you know, there are some of the laws that have been implemented quite literally make meeting up with some a stranger in your household illegal, um, has been this idea uh, that we've really basically been quite flippant about it. Uh, that's This isn't a kind of call from me to s tell people to start going out and hooking up during the pandemic, but the blasé nature in which politicians and commentators have talked about how easy it is for the pursuit of, lo of love or companionship to be put on hold tells us something, I think, about the way in which we've come to value intimacy. Because actually what intimacy is really all about and why it's so dangerous is because it's an inherently involves opening yourself up to the scrutiny of someone else. It's very vulnerabilizing. Uh, and in today's political climate, which prioritizes the safety of the self and protection from harm above all else, being open and intimate with another one has often been deemed too dangerous to be worth it. As a kind of crass example, there was a billboard that, uh, at the end of my road in Dawson that popped up a number of months ago from the dating company Badoo. Um, that and here's where I trump Claire in the in the prude terms because this kind of really made me cringe and maybe it's my Catholic background that it makes me like that. But it had this big picture cartoon of a woman with her hands down her knickers and it said something along the lines of, you know, congratulations to the nation for being so patriotic to engage in self love rather than um, rather than meet up during the pandemic and you're you know you're you're doing your bit to fight back against coronavirus. You know, and 
rather than just kind of, I don't want to get into a discussion about masturbation necessarily, but this notion of self-love, of being intimate just with yourself, out, even outside of the, you know, the practicalities of a pandemic, not being able to meet up with other people, is actually really more about being your own judge, being your own company, you know, being your own critic, um, being at a kind of narcissistic obsession with yourself and interaction with yourself being the only thing that really is of value today uh, has, I think, become a really strong trend from trends against judgment and criticism and everything from, you know, judgment is a dirty word now in education, in art, um, in political viewpoints. It's no wonder that we've become more interested in nurturing a vulnerability within ourselves and less interested in being vulnerable with another person. Adam Curtis's new documentary, Can't Get You Out of My Head, which I've had the privilege of watching the first few four episodes um, over the last week as with review copies, has this, and I really urge everyone to watch it, it's fascinating, makes this really brilliant insight. He, he, what he argues is that the increase in the, in the kind of politics of individuality, where it becomes more desirable to change the self than society, that this trend has led to a kind of empty, hollow sensation that many of us have come to feel in contemporary society, you know, and this particular feeling of a kind of a void of meaninglessness in life has been exacerbated throughout the experience of the pandemic. Risk taking is pretty much verboten in, in all aspects of politics and why you have to ask is because the prospect of harm has become so inflated. In the world of love and intimacy, time immemorial fears of being dumped or rejected or spurned, you know, the things that people have felt for centuries, years and years, have today been given an extra potency in a world in which the self is so fragile and so important, threats or insults to it in the form of failed attempts at intimacy are simply too much to bear. I think that's why we, to sum up, I think that's why we have to assert that to be intimate is to be truly vulnerable and to celebrate that fact. It's why coming home, for example, is such a wonderful feeling because you know that your brothers or sisters or your parents, your family members know things about you that no one else knows. Uh, it's a, it, that in a genuine sense, even though the phrase is off maligned, it's a truly safe space. And it's why love is, as Ralph has mentioned, in itself so devastatingly difficult. The lead up to it and achieving it and chasing love is tantamount often to kind of psychological torture with the will he won't he moments like ma making you feel like you're drunk on love. And when you do finally get it, many people experience the fact that be of, of being plagued by the feeling that the other person doesn't quite match your amorous attentions. So, you know, wondering whether someone is as deeply intimate, as deeply in love with you as you are. It's what makes the pursuit of intimacy so engaging, so alive and actually so uniquely human. In Wuthering Heights, perhaps the greatest love story ever written in my view, Kathy tells Nellie this. She says, my love for Linton is like the foliage in the woods. Time will change it. I'm well aware as winter changes the trees. But, she says, my love, for Heathcliff my love for Heathcliff resembles the eternal rocks beneath, a source of little visible delight, but necessary. I am Heathcliff. He's always in my mind, not as a pleasure, but any more than I am always a pleasure to myself. He is my own being. And a fiction of Emily Bronte's imagination, that might be, but I think there's a lot we can learn about what we've lost from our sense of intimacy and our valuing of it that is about something more than ourselves, allowing another person into the sanctity of ourself and into our vulnerable world is about being open to risk, to heartache and to pain. 
And most importantly, accepting the fact actually that love might change us forever and being a little less narcissistic about ourselves and a little bit precious about who we are right now and open to a future in which we might become another person. So what is the future of love? Well, I think it's rather dull unless we remember what it's really all about. Uh, thank you. I, uh, yes, I like the three nights too. And um, some fantastic ideas that I'm just conscious of the fact that I want to go out to the audience and I'm just going to ask you for some quick reflections because I'm aware of the fact we haven't heard from, you know, Samantha, for example, for a while. So, you know, one of the things about this idea of love being dangerous is I suppose that love being dangerous in the way that I think Ralph said it, but, you know, that when you have freedom, when you're not being asked to marry somebody that, or, you know, it's not an, a, an arrangement, it's very risky. And there is something about what happens in a risk-averse society if we are given the freedom, but we don't know what to do with it. And I think mm. that sort of retreat is one of the things. But I, but I really did... I really do worry, and so Samantha, I'll ask you, but then anyone reflect on anything quick, quick, quickly, all the panel. But starting with you, Samantha, I really mm -hmm. do think in the debate that I did on domestic abuse the other day, not, not the, the rough sex stuff, but there was this whole thing about misogyny and hate crime. And mm -hmm. the examples of misogyny, which, you know, mis misogyny and hate crime, you think pretty gross. And the examples that were given were uh, men, uh, giving unwanted attention to women mm -hmm. and I was thinking well I don't know what unwanted attention is I mean you don't know if it's wanted or not do you unless you do it no. it doesn't yeah. matter whether that's right or wrong I know that many men particularly young men feel nervous now about approaching people in case their unwanted intentions are seen as misogynist hate crime I mean that's partly what's happened a bit of anxiety about all that is that fair or am I am I mischaracterizing it and is well, that one of the reasons why the Tinder stuff's happened, that people are retreating from the dangers to risk averse? Anything, go on. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm, I'm actually surprised by, I'm not entirely surprised, I'm aware of the general discussion about people and certain men feeling like they need to be more cautious in approaching women because of the various discussions that have now entered um, society generally so starting with me too and I think the misogyny is hate crime started a bit earlier the thing is I don't know whether it's because I am a lawyer and I have quite a lot of lawyer friends and actually people might be surprised at this but lawyers really aren't risk averse so that's for one uh, I the whole thing about people being worried about how to approach people I know this may sound, be an unpopular response, but it doesn't ring true to me. Um, it doesn't ring true in my experience um, of people I come across. Now, I know, now that may be because I'd probably spend a, too much time working and with people who do a similar thing to, to what I do. And maybe because also we know the laws. Um, and so maybe people are a bit more comfortable about what they can and can't do. Um, and, and they're less worried. I kind of working in for a period in a university context I became more aware of how the issue was particularly affecting young men but I think what I'd like to say about that is it's not just young men who are affected by us not having what I think is always a completely honest discourse about all of this young women are affected as well and 
the, for me, the big issue in terms of when we discuss misogyny or when we discuss the Me Too movement is actually, I think, addressing the question of, um, and I'll, I'll say it, it might sound strong, but I'll say it, hypocrisy. Because actually, I think we all often know, we know the difference more often than not. Nine times, nine times out of 10, most people know the difference. But I think it's my view that we create and, and, and society has chosen to create a gray area, an extended gray area, which actually doesn't exist. Um, if we were just all a bit more honest um, on both sides about what we find acceptable or what, and what we know to be acceptable. And I think, and I, and I say that, you know, on, for both men and or women and or whoever is the recipient right. of the unwanted attention. Okay, so, great. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, um, because there's loads to even follow on from that. But anyway, Ralph, um, any reflections on what you've heard? I mean, maybe I'm kind of, because I'm aware of the fact that I presented that rather simplistically, this idea that people kind of constrained and Samantha's given us a good challenge there, which is people do know really, and this becomes a bit of an excuse. But anyway, just anything you want to reflect on, Ralph, that you've heard so far? Um, well, for as far as, approaching women is concerned um look it's always a, whenever you are trying to initiate or break the ice with somebody especially when you could say there may be the possibility of a sexual undertone with it you're always going to take the risk you're, you are always going there's always a risk that it could go wrong and because in any social situation when you have to again break the ice with someone you don't know but you don't know um you are taking a risk and oftentimes a lot of the time men are very bad at doing it yeah that's that's just you know the truth of it and much of the time it's just cringy much of the time it, it is a little bit sinister and or you know quote unquote creepy as the sort of the common description is and sure you know most of the time we know into in in our intuition we know what is what is socially acceptable and unacceptable you know you know one wouldn't just go up to any woman on the street and just say you know whatever re really in your head of course you wouldn't do that it's just, that's just completely irrational uh, so there is there is that um as for the fear of freedom um i do think there is it's not it's not so much that um people you know of it's not the fear of um what was said before that people fear that they're going to be scrutinized etc etc i think it's it's in a different way, uh, the fear of what to do with this, you know, freedom and agency and, you know, the fact that we have to rely on ourselves to initiate our own sort of intimate, romantic, sexual relationship. And a lot of people struggle with that, you know, and I think that's one reason why there is this segment online of, you know, the incel, femcel movement who want to sort of 
you know, adopt this sort of very revanchist identity posture. And, um, you know, a lot, of, and again, yeah, that's, that's why I have to think of this. Okay, great. Listen, I'm not gonna, um, Emily and uh, uh, um, Ella, I'm not gonna come to you for a minute. I'm gonna take a few people from the panel then to come back to both you two. You can pick up anything. So I think there's quite a lot in what we've just heard, but I want to get out and see what people are interested in talking about. Let's go to Mary. Um, we were talking about um, uh, the fact of having no contact with each other. In the olden days, there used to be a lot of correspondence and love letters. What do you think about that? And should we be sending love emails? What a nice idea. Do you know what, I've, I've written, not love letters, but I've written quite a lot of letters in this lockdown in a way that I wouldn't normally have done. But that is an interesting thought. Uh, thank you for that, Mary. Uh, David Axe, please. Hi, hi, I hope you can hear me okay. Um, so, uh, great, uh, great introductions, by the way, I really enjoyed that. Um, so, obviously, I think, um, uh, really minds a, a question about whether this is what we're dealing with at the moment is qualitatively different from the past. So there's been a long history of the um, uh, uh, viewing intimacy as a risky, uh, as a risky enterprise, mm. um, uh, and particularly post the, post the AIDS panic where, um, uh, you know, then kind of uh, sexual intimacy was kind of fraught with the, the risk of death, or at least that's what the way it was uh, promoted in order to promote a you know conservative sexual morality um but now i'm just wondering if this is if it is qualitatively different now during lockdown where we've accepted um that not only kind of interpersonal space um as people have argued interpersonal space can be regulated you know you've got to maintain your two meter distance from each other in public um but then also uh, you know as as the speakers pointed out the you know intimate uh the, your kind of personal space in the in your in the in your kind of private sphere is also uh, being regulated. You can't have your you can't have your lover around. Or um, uh, so is this um, is this a crystallization of those trends? You know, and are we kind of seeing a new? Is this the new normal? Uh, uh, and you know, would the speakers agree with me that it's a new normal that we need to uh, reject? Um, not in a not in a kind of a uh, a terroristic way by uh, just sleeping around, but um, you know against the regulations. Uh, but um, that we need to um, uh, argue against. Mm. Okay, thanks, thanks, Dave. Uh, interesting. So I'm going to uh, Josephine, Josephine Lane. Oh, thank you. Um, oh, this is just I don't know a thought really. Um, I'm sort of a wish and a thought. I I wonder if um, there's a possibility, I don't know if anyone agrees, and this is, I'd love this, if um, as a reaction to coming out of lockdown, if we think about it as kind of like pre-lockdown, during lockdown and post-lockdown, could there be almost a sort of revolution where we've been so kept apart from each other, do we go the absolute extreme way and it's a sort of like summer of, summer of love, free love mm -hmm. sort of uh, situation. I, I would love to think that that's the case. The cynical side of me thinks no. Um, but, you know, <laughs> it's more like that would be great, wouldn't it? Rather than a, I think that's what's going to happen thing. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Um, yeah, actually, the, the people are talking about kind of roaring 20s effect. Yeah. Um, mm. 
Yes, I quite like, even, even I, at my age, quite like the sound of that. Um, uh, um, okay, and uh, right, I'm going to try Elizabeth again, then I'm going to come to Emily and Ella, and then I go back out. So, uh, Elizabeth? Okay, how am perfect, I doing? Perfect, perfect. Oh, hallelujah. Okay, there's, the, um, even within the space between when I was going to say something, what's said now, I have loads more to say. I have thought of that image, however doctored it was, of the sailor grabbing the woman and, and kissing her um, uh, in the New York streets after um, peace was declared and, you know, lockdowns declared and everybody's going to just go out and kiss each other and have, um, you know, casual sex. <laughs> it's not going to happen. But anyway, uh, it's a nice idea. And I think I, I actually need my phone. Um, the um, I, I think it's interesting that people brought up two things that were going on in my head about love and lockdown. Um, that I thought were connected were um, AIDS um, and also Me Too, because in very different ways, they kind of changed and reconfigured our conception of intimacy, particularly casual intimacy, where it's not a long-term relationship, but um, you may want to, you know, get together with someone and that, that should be, that's a part of a free liberal society that you should be able to do that. Uh, it's your own choice, but there's different strictures placed on it, whether they be fear-laden fear because of uh, social taboos about Me Too, uh, young men. I, I, I teach 19, 20 to 25-year-old men in, in my profession, and I, I can tell that they, 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 they're cowed by... Uh, a, a certain brand of feminism that makes them feel like they're, they're predators and waiting and, and that they, they don't express themselves the way I think maybe they, they might want to. But also the AIDS crisis, as um, the, um, I think it was Colin said, um, I might, got, might have got that wrong, um, or somebody here said, um, yeah, yeah. yeah um, about the, the, the idea that uh, having sex, uh, particularly casual sex, equals death. And um, uh, all of these things tend to be tied up with morals. And I think that's with, with lockdown and the, the lack of, or, or the verboten attitude towards intimacy, whether it be a, a, a granny and a grandchild or um, two couples that live apart or somebody who just meets each people who meet each other. And I do have um, the, that example um, it was from Lincoln Fields Tap Room, which I believe is a, a um, pub in, in London somewhere, Warburton Road or something. Uh, they, they, they had a laminated menu with a list, uh, this is during lockdown, a list of things you could and couldn't do. And it, 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 it involved you know, the usual things of you need to wear a mask when you walk in, you need to wear a mask when you go to the toilet, um, only five people per table. And then one of the funny little things they'd added in is no long eye contact with somebody at another table. And that's that sort of insidious, what are they saying? Um, I, I, I could literally share the image with you of, of this, this thing, but it, it, it's almost like they're suggesting don't even think about being intimate. It's not even about being intimate. It's don't set up the situation where you're flirting. So I think it's even banning flirting, which already arguably Me Too was doing, uh, as a number of people have said. 
but now it's for because you're going to kill granny or whatever you know, okay. you know so that's basically my point no, well, well worth waiting for we, but, well worth waiting for but yeah. i'm just going to kind of move on but thanks loads of great stuff in there elizabeth thanks um okay so i'm going to come to you emily to pick up anything you want i particularly wanted to ask you whether you're going to be writing lots of love letters uh, well, I've got nobody to write them to, so no, <laughs> unfortunately not. But I agree with you, Claire. Like that is that is the that is the mission of the future. Let's all do that. Um, okay, so I have so many notes because I, I wrote down every single thing. So we're going to have to go through my notes, which are completely insane. So you'll be don't anyway, go through all of them. Go through some of no, them. no, no, no. Yeah, I'm just yeah. going to do very, very real, just very kind of. So Samantha, I want to know what the legality of the situation is because I have no idea. Justice is what love looks like in public is generally disturbing. I would like to talk more about that. Ralph, love the Zizek quotes, fantastic. Fear of freedom, state of anxiety, you're completely and utterly right. Um, Ella, Withering Heights, Kathy dies. She dies, she dies, and Emily Bronte died a virgin. So um, there's that. Um, David said, uh, is it qualitatively different to the AIDS pandemic? Yes, because in the AIDS pandemic, they did not declare sex between vulnerable people illegal, which they have done, I think, unless Samantha can uh, advise me. Otherwise, like I, I, at one point, it seemed to be uh, legal for uh, work purposes, which was generally disturbing. Uh, Josephine, revolution. Yes, I love it. We have to fight for that. Um, hopefully I'll have a piece on Spiked saying similar. Catherine, soldier kissing, casual sex isn't death. Yes, that's what I wrote. Um, I don't think it's me too, it's the apps. It's the apps. So it's, it's not me too. It's like this whole idea that we mediate everything through apps. So the reason that people aren't going up and speaking to each other in bars is not because they're scared of me too. Um, it's because you don't do that. You don't do that. You mediate everything through your computers. And so this is what uh, lockdown is accelerating in a really, 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 really disturbing way. I can't even describe how disturbing it is and how much it scares me. Um, the final point, I'm going to talk really, really fast because I know I'm taking up too much time, is, um, so I agree with everyone that lockdowns accelerated everything. Um, I would, so the thing is, is that I think intimacy is about, I would say intimacy is not about sex. For me, intimacy is not about sex at all. I completely, I, I think Ella made the, the salient point of the evening with that horrible poster by Badu. I think it's disgusting. It's, it's just so wrong. I just can't even cope. Um, but um, for me, intimacy is not about sex at all. It's about love. And the thing is that really disturbs me is what I think that we're doing with corporate culture is just completely trying to make, make every single person the same, right? And the thing is, is they're driving out alternative lifestyles and anybody who lives any differently. And so where I would disagree with everybody else, although I am a, uh, I'm, I'm actually not a good Catholic girl, I was raised an atheist, but I am now Catholic, weirdly. I'm not doing very well at the whole thing. But um, I do believe in love and, and, the, the, and, and that. But the thing is, is if you haven't found it, you have to find it from somewhere. You have to be loved by somebody. And if you're not incredibly lucky, you don't find that naturally. And what you may find is that you live a different life and you get love from other people and you get small loves from other people. So those kind of things, which Samantha was kind of saying, we're all atomized and like, you know, these things in bars don't really amount to much. That was my life. That was my life. I was very happy. I had, I was, had my freedom. I was very happy in my life. I had small loves from other people. I think that I am perhaps a gay man trapped in the body of a woman. Um, but I think that should be okay. 
and I agree wholeheartedly with whoever said we have to resist the new normal. Good. Absolutely. Well, the perfect way to finish at this stage. Beautiful human behaviour. That's what we're doing. Yeah. We'll be back to you as um. um so Ella. Um, yeah, just a quick few points. I mean, on Dave's point about the new normal, I mean, yes, and, and actually linked in with Joe's, Josephine Lane's point, um, I I am quite optimistic, actually, about people wanting to break free from this when restrictions allow and when this is all um, a nightmare in our in our past. Because I think that one, one, it's not to sort of artificially put a silver lining on this, but it has made you think about your relationships. If you were a bit of a hermit before, yes, there's the chance for you, there is the depressing chance that people might uh, feel, you know, especially when it comes to mental health, feel a bit deepened in their um, limitations or feel more alone. But I think actually the flip side of that is it's also made a lot of people think about the way in which they live their lives and promise to themselves that they're going to make a change when they come out of this in a very positive way, you know, promise to not cancel on plans, promise to go out, promise to go out dating, promise to put yourself out there. And so, I, and actually I think as, as with lots of these things, if we talk it into existence, it might actually, it might actually be. And so I think we should make an effort, all of us to be very positive about the prospect of a roaring 20s i think we should make we should make it happen um, but i think people a number of people have mentioned aids and while it's you know while it's useful to look back and through historical examples in, in which sex was problematized i do think we have to be you know quite specific in the context of the issue that we're dealing with because unlike aids which was um, you know, a health scare that that governments for political reasons, as much as for health reasons, um, panicked about sex. Uh, that was, you know, for the large part unnecessary. It was though they kind of put out adverts with graves um, saying that if you basically had any kind of sexual relationships that you were going to risk dying, which was not true. We do know that while you won't risk dying if you kiss someone, uh, necking or, or having sex during a pandemic does increase your risk of spreading coronavirus. So you can't quite compare that. And, uh, you know, the the um, some people have mentioned masks and things like that in the comments. And I want us to be specific about the time that we're living in. But nevertheless, it is true that the uh, think what I was trying to say is that the issues with intimacy and the issues with socialization run long before the pandemic and it doesn't matter if we've all had masks slapped on our faces it wasn't like we were very up for getting together in the first place and um, on just on two more points Claire, on apps i don't share the bitter hatred of apps and funny enough i have actually never used an app because i got into a relationship bef just before they sort of became popularized and i'm i'm kind of jealous about that because the process i'm quite like the technological answer to an issue of um of social spaces being closed down and actually lots of people i know who use dating apps and maybe there are people in the in the audience who can talk about this um you know i think there's a there's a kind of a panic around it as if it was a kind of technological answer to love when in actual fact it's just a means through which we do things that we did throughout history anyway which is you know your friends vetted partners you picked your social scenes and your social circles according to what clubs and pubs you went to and that yes apps bring a, a certain layer of narcissism to it because on certain ones you only get five words to describe yourself and it's all about what pictures you put up you know, I, I wouldn't overplay the, I wouldn't kind of overplay the importance of apps, whether they're detrimental or not. One thing I just wanted to throw out to people is this question that, because Samantha raised this really interesting issue of a grey area. And I suppose what I'm saying is that grey areas are essential, are really essential, um, and that it's not just because of risk, but because once you try to uh, 
eliminate gray areas, which I think as, as when it comes to heterosexual relationships and women in particular, the attempt to eliminate the space for which you're not really sure what's going to happen has led to a detrimental effect on intimacy, has led to, um, you know, the basically the, the the aspect of any kind of risk or excitement in love being outruled or for example if you take move it away from other aspects of intimacy into kind of familial relationships the what about the trend actually I think Jenny Bristow's in this chat maybe she can talk about this the trend of generationally of there being far less interaction between young people and old people children and adults on the basis there is any kind of gray area in terms of people's intentions whether you know if you're not directly related to a child that you can't pick them up or smile at them or make a joke for fear of being accused of being abusive all of that plays into it so I think that you know gray areas and the concept of there being the unknown has to be central to any kind of reimagining if we want to have a roaring 20s you've got to also reinvigorate you know some of those tenets that were there in the sexual revolution of the 60s and 70s which was about try it you know, throw off all your shackles and, and open yourself up to, yes, the possibility of there being some danger, but also the wonderful possibility of there being some uh, life-changing experiences. Okay, thanks. Right, so I've got a few more uh, hands, but obviously we're at that point now where I'm going to whiz through and get um, uh, um, people from the floor to speak or in, in the audience speak. There's been a, quite a lot of discussion in the, in the chat on incels, I'm not saying we should talk about it here. You know, just if anyone wants to raise it in, raise any questions about it. Somebody just made the point that the reason you love app sellers is because you've never used them, um, and 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 they might want to make that argument. Um, uh, I think that those areas about whether we can eradicate the grey areas aren't relationships messy. Can we actually deal? You know, or certainly getting into them is messy, but then they're messy as well. Sometimes when you hear people talk about what is a healthy relationship, you think. You know, it sounds sterile apart from anything else often, but, you know, people have, it's, people make their own decisions about what they consider kind of good relationship is. But I do think that experimentation might be at risk. And I suppose I just wanted to note that when I we were talking earlier, I don't want it to seem like as though the issue is young men being frightened. I, you know, they're frightened to approach young women. I found when I've spoken at girls' schools that young women are actually quite fearful of sexual experimentation and fearful of predators in a way that was kind of like more reminiscent of kind of the way I was read as a Catholic of men are all, you know, out to get you than the liberation that I fought for as I was growing up. So I just wonder what people thought about any of those things. So I've got Jenny to start with. Uh, hi, it's actually Emma using. Oh, hello, Maya. Emma. Hi, so I just wanted to talk a bit about um, I think a part of it is the, the shift from focus in schools and growing up from one that was based, I mean, one based on, I guess, fairy tale endings and stuff to one that's a lot more about what you just said about teaching girls, especially, but now also boys about how untrustworthy relationships can be and people in relationships can be and how that's really been woven into every aspect of a relationship from being approached by someone to becoming in a relationship to someone and even later on in marriage with the cautions about marriage and divorce. So that I think it's really teaching um, young people that actually the, the instability that comes with relationship is maybe making people question whether it's worth it and that that's why they're kind of focusing on 
building up the stability of their lifestyle themselves and their like economic and focusing on getting a better grade in school getting a better university place getting a better job later on because they don't trust other people enough to see relationships as worth it anymore and I think that the increasing regulation around relationships is just doing more damage as it's teaching people that they should be fearful of them rather than teaching them that they should be able to trust others. Mm. Uh, thank you, Emma, very useful. Just to anyone who doesn't know, that's, uh, I think um, Emma is uh, year 12, I think, and has productively spent lockdown co-writing a book on Corona generation, while the rest of us have been kind of not doing something quite so productive. But anyway, uh, thanks, Emma. Okay, so I've got Richard next, please. Okay. Um, okay, I'm going to have to use, uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, as an old hand at this uh, love game, maybe a little bit too old, um, I have got nothing to say about apps, I'm afraid, but uh, I do wonder whether it's possible to uh, overthink this uh, in some ways. Uh, you know, love is a bit like shit, really. It happens. And I'm not sure, uh, while obviously this is, a, this is a discussion about love, uh, whether discussing it um, um, makes it any better and uh, makes it, uh, may even make it, worse and actually thinking about our vulnerabilities uh, could be something that we're doing far too much of uh, at the moment um, and that perhaps uh, uh, we shouldn't be uh, uh, obsessing about uh, about uh, you know the uh, exposing ourselves to other people in that way there wasn't there a book uh, in the last 10 years uh, aimed at women called the rules I seem to remember that there was there was a you know uh, what are the rules of love um, uh, isn't it about time that uh, that we took this idea of rules uh, which seems to be the uh, you know the watchword of 2020 and, and 2021 uh, took that uh, that rule book and uh, ripped it up. Thank you. That was helpful. Yeah. Thanks, uh, Bernie. Uh, I've got next. Is it Bernie? No, it's Dennis. Oh, uh, Dennis. Hi, on Bernie's. Yeah. Hi, there, Dennis. Hi. Hi. Um, I can appreciate. I think the kind of you know the problematic nature of you know, love under lockdown and indeed the more broader problem of intimacy and how it's being regulated. But I do think um, I've, I'm struck because I work in the construction industry, I'm out and about a lot. So I, I, I see a lot that's going on in the contemporary world or contemporary London. And the thing that struck me most is the number of people I see going around with animals strapped to their chest, particularly young men like carrying a dog strapped to their chest as if it was a baby. Uh, and I, I read that the number of people, the, the number of kind of applications for people to have dogs from all the kennels and every place has, has dramatically increased. So it's like as if people want intimacy of some sort, but obviously can't have it with other human beings at the moment and seek it through these uh, relationships with animals, which strikes me as quite depressing. But notwithstanding that, I do think there's something very primal in our human desire for love. And uh, when I think about it, I go back to the kind of earliest manifestations of human kind of uh, preoccupation with, with, um, with our condition, the Greeks. And um, Plato wrote a book called The Symposium. And in it, the, the symposium was a debate on what is love. And uh, some individuals argued that love was, you know, just basically the mediations of sexual desire. Some argued that it was about the way we mediated property relations, for example. And Socrates came along and said it was the most powerful transcendental 
kind of force available to humans uh, and it, it was um you know that that condition that philosophers sought to attain and had great difficulty in attaining and then the comic post poet um uh, aristophanes came in and said well the first humans were very powerful they had two heads and two you know four arms and four legs and male and female genitalia but um they could travel at great speed and um, turning cartwheels and they could hurl rocks at great force and the gods on mount olympus became very worried about the power of these human beings so they cut them in half and left them with uh, one head each and uh, two arms and two legs and so on and uh, but the heads were turned backwards and the anguish of these poor humans was such that the gods relented and turned us the way we are now but what we are left with is this incredible desire to come back together to what we once were and i think that's the explanation i like best for what it is about love it's a primal force within human beings and at any given time in history we may have regulated it in all sorts of bizarre ways like it's happening now but i am content to believe that it is a primal force that will survive all that oh that was a nice optimistic thought thank you um i, I right i've got uh, Max Sanderson, and then that's all I've got. But I want to encourage anyone else. We've had some really beautiful, philosophical, all sorts of things from the from the floor. But you can just ask a question if you want, or make a one line point. You don't have to. You don't have to do anything more than that. So I'm going to go to Max, but then I'll see if there's any last questions or points anyone would like to make before I bring the panel in. Finally, um, Max. All right. Uh, yeah. Thanks to everyone. My first, I've got two very brief points. One is not very philosophical, but I, I um, chuckled at some point last year where an organization, I can't remember their name, released <clears throat> sort of guidelines of, of what to do or what precautions to take if you do decide to break lockdown and, and have sex with someone. And um, I think they said, you know, no kissing, masks on, and try do positions where you're not facing each other, which didn't feel particularly intimate, but I suppose it's better than nothing. Um, and yeah, the other, I suppose the, the other is more of a kind of playing devil's advocate is, you know, I totally get a lot of the points people are talking about, about how sort of love isn't what it used to be. And there are all these sort of almost puritanical kind of restrictions in place that are preventing intimacy being you know what it once was and I suppose my challenge to all of the panelists is are we not in fear of sounding slightly puritanical um, by saying you know this is not how intimacy and love should be and therefore it's wrong is that not the sort of classic intergenerational tension that exists when you know society evolve and people evolve in the way that people are intimate evolve are we kind of being slightly puritanical perhaps i don't know no i think that i think they're good questions actually and um but it's also the case that and it's something i wanted to see what, what when the panel come back um one of the things there is no doubt that people are carrying on having illicit meetings <laughs> probably allegedly I gather but somebody was telling me he was just going to see their partner by the way but who they don't live with for a variety of reasons and that they were stopped twice by the police by coincidence who said where are you going and he said there's no point trying to commit you know when you're actually used to having an illicit affair where you don't say where you're going then the police actually ask you and you immediately don't <laughs> but it but you know he didn't know what to say 
and he was actually breaking the law. But it, the whole thing is kind of very fraught as well. Anyway, I've now got a few more hands. That's good. Um, okay, uh, Rob Lyons. Hello. Um, I just wanted to um, put a couple of ideas to the, the panel. Um, first was about um, just I'm, I'm, I'm reminded of, of uh, the day after my brother got married back in the early 80s, fairly young. And uh, he um, so my this is another Catholic story, I'm afraid. Uh, the um, uh, my aunts asked uh, his wife, his new wife, what's it like uh, sleeping next to him? And my brother just chipped in with she's used to it. Shock, horror, probe, sex before marriage, blah, blah, blah. Um, so we and it just made me think about, you know, having torn up all the rules, as it were, um, that that society doesn't seem to be able to cope without creating some new ones. Um, and the rule, the, the kind of new rules, if you like, are even worse than the old ones in a way, because they're even more constricting um, than perhaps they were in the past. Um, and also whether we've lost the point of relationships um, in the sense of that there, there, there was a point to relationships that were beyond us, or at least, you know, that, you know, I mean, not that every relationship has to fit this, this mold, but the idea of as a society, people had this expectation of getting married, having kids, kind of like reproducing society again. And there was a kind of a, a design for life that everybody sort of followed. And without that sort of overarching design for life, that we're all a bit lost because when, it, when relationships come down to simply, does this make me happy or not? Maybe that's quite difficult uh, to, uh, to deal with because actually, you know, relationships don't always make you happy in the short term or like, but at the same time, you know, there is a wider contentment or joy about you know spending your life with somebody that is that's really really important so i don't know whether any of that is true but i'm interested to see what the panel think about it right okay uh chrissy i'm really pleased dennis brought up um plato's symposium because that sort of fits into what i'm thinking about which isn't very well formed but um the sort of the the question with the aristophanes um scenario of the two halves um, searching for each other, um, which I think Plato himself wasn't satisfied with, is that when, when if that's the purpose of life, to find your other half, then what becomes the purpose when you've found it, um, which is a sort of major question. And that sort of brought me into what I, I was thinking about a little bit earlier, which is a, a slight trend that I've noticed recently of um, the people who are in relationships, who are couples, seeming to have become more fused. Um, one of the things is that um, it seems more and more common now for couples to talk about our pregnancy, rather than it's talking about a woman being pregnant, it is a couple that is pregnant. That seems to be a fairly new thing. Um, and there's programs as well, like Come Dine With Me with Couples, and they even did an unbelievable truth um, on Radio 4 with couples, which was a bit bizarre because you had the married couple sort of taking it in turns um, to be funny, and they weren't really. Um, but back to Symposium, because I actually think I find it the most fascinating of all of the books of Plato that I've read, um, because the way that it ends, because you do have this, this well-structured sort of set of all these different uh, thinkers giving their own views on what love is, 
And then right at the end, you get this drunken young man bursting on the on the um, on the group um, and starts attacking Socrates, basically because he's in love with him. Um, and that's where it ends. So I think that's quite interesting because it seems as though Plato was deliberately um, being disruptive and saying that, 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 that love is absolutely vital. It's a vital force in life, but it is not the answer. Thank you. That was really helpful. That was really interesting. Thank you. Um, so, uh, Nicholas, um, so I've got, Nicholas, do we want to try you again? Tempted to start by complimenting Ella on her hair, but I, I, I feel like that might be a bit creepy. And, and oh, God almighty. Right, carry on, moving on. Um, <laughs> it's a very nice thing to do. It, it was. We'll take it in good part. Um, I mean, I... I'm 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 struck by the idea that maybe what 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 we're seeing through the whole COVID thing um, is indeed a, um, a, a an intensification of of, of of a strand of what we've been seeing previously. But it, but 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 the strand that's being intensified is 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 really a sort of pneumonikeism, a a disgust, a horror of the flesh, of the physical. Um, of 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 passion, um, or at least passion that is in any way connected with the flesh, and and, and it, it it strikes me that perhaps what we're therefore seeing is just how just how wise the Catholic Church was to crush this really dangerous heresy of Manichaeism, and you know, perhaps destroy, destroying the Cathars saved us from uh, from the kind of insanity that we're now seeing. Fascinating. Well, it's well worth waiting for, wasn't it? So thank you very much. Um, and then I think final from the floor. So panel, can we get ready for you to come back and just give us your final roundup thoughts on anything you've heard? You can't possibly answer all the questions. Um, Phil Harrison, please. Um, Emily made the really interesting point that, that sex and intimacy are not the same thing, which I think is a really counterintuitive but um, bold way of thinking about it. I wonder if the thing that is most closely tied to intimacy is shame. That we feel, every human being feels shameful. And to, but to be intimate with someone is to recognize that your shame is nothing to be ashamed of. Um, and that's a completely separate thing from sex. Sometimes it can open a way to sex, but it's, it doesn't have to. And I wonder that it's not necessarily COVID, but the moment that COVID finds us in is a moment where politics has been driven increasing into a, a shame game where it's not so much ideas that are contested anymore, but uh, ways of shaming one another and shaming um, other groups. Um, so I wonder if the, our reliance or increasing reliance on shame as a way of um, doing politics is having an impact on how we think of intimacy and therefore our very interpersonal relationships as well well that's really that's really interesting thank you um okay there's really been loads to think about actually i really like those last couple of contributions on shame and um, also on on you know on the way passion has been dealt with what's being what's under attack so anything the panel wants but this is obviously not the final word on the whole issue it's just given us lots to think about which is what we need in lockdown things to mull over and otherwise we'll all go 
mad and this has given me loads to really follow up on so can I start then um Samantha with you just your final thoughts before we go please so I'm absolutely struck by that last comment on shame and absolutely I think that's really profound and you've given me lots to think about there in terms of if that's what we're talking about when we talk about love and intimacy etc etc um just to, to round up look basically if you're not in an established couple meeting up with someone else right now is illegal I'm sorry to be boring but I think I should just let you know yeah, unless yeah. of course you can form a support bubble and that would require each of you to be in a single household so living alone um, and then you can form a support bubble and you can change that bubble but you then have to isolate for 10 days before starting a new one so dating isn't actually dead it's just like the rhythm's perhaps been changed so perhaps we could all just get in line with the new rhythm and carry on as before you know is it really that different from working all hours of the day and night getting home at whatever time and squeezing your social life in in the time you have in these are crazy busy modern lives and 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 i i said it before and and i may not have said it clearly but i think our modern lives the busyness um dare i say the consumerism and what what drives it what has to drive it and power it are perhaps some of the real um obstacles to intimacy um and time to develop loving relationships and to come back to Emily on love and justice is what love looks like in public. I am very for that global sense, yeah, even if it might sound corny, of love um, and that it's something that we show um, one to another and, 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 and generally. And can you imagine this almost indiscriminately? So, um, that's where the saying comes from and it's from Cornell West. So those would be my um, closing thoughts. Separating well, from intimacy, which clearly you have to know who you share that with. Uh, <laughs> that's, that, that's great. And of course, you're absolutely right to stress that we're not advocating breaking the law in this discussion. No. As well, as well as your more, more interesting <laughs> insights. <laughs> uh, thank you. Okay, Ralph, <laughs> your final thoughts, please. Um, well, first of all, on apps, um, I don't think apps are the problem. Um, they are a tool and they exist within a certain context and they can be used in multiple ways. Um, there's no reason why they can't be a, a massive, even revolutionary help or benefit to intimacy, love, desire, and so on. So that's why I have to say on that. And uh, finally, um, on the person who talked about the demonization of the flesh and brings up to a point about love that we often talk about love in this very abstract, these very spiritual, um, a corporal sense that, of love. And this is, I think, one of the points, you know, because we've had a lot of references to Plato and Aristophanes and the Catholic Church. And I don't want to put myself in the position of arguing against the doyens of Western civilization, but a, a core belief that you find with Plato through Christianity and in Kant is this sort of dichotomy between mind or soul and the body, which is 
<clears throat> you know, and they're all are antagonistic against each other. And, you know, obviously the mind and soul is superior to the body and so on. And I think with love, we have to find a, a synthesis between the two, a, a way to sort of embody, literally speaking, embody the act of love and desire that we all feel. And, it, it, you know, it reminds me of a, a quote from, you know, uh, Salwa Almeini's novel, Proof of the Honey, where she, the, the protagonist, writes at the beginning, some people conjure spirits, I conjure bodies. I have no knowledge of my soul or the soul of others. I know only my body and death. That's all right. And uh, thanks, Rob. Actually, I feel a bit bad that I ever introduced the Catholic thing because I was actually beginning to feel as though I'd kind of somehow made it verboten for people to have any conversation about lust whatsoever. And I just want to make it clear that I was joking and that actually the flesh and the body, I mean, nobody should be ashamed of this. And there is a danger of, in our attempt at kind of going, becoming more profound, that we end up denying a very human and non-shameful aspiration for um, fulfilling the, the the needs of the flesh. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I'm just concerned that I might have set a wrong tone at the beginning and ended up um, uh, uh, um, over-moralising it. Anyway, so thank you for reminding us of that. So great. Um, Emily, your thoughts to finish off, please. Oh, where's Emily gone? Sorry. Hello. It's Hi. all right. I thought I'd lost you. Well, almost, pretty much. I'm so profoundly depressed by everything. I can't even cope. Um, that, that, you know, with referencing the way the government behaved in the AIDS pandemic, we don't have a problem with the way that the government are behaving now is, is disturbing me um, really profoundly. Like, we're not advocating uh, breaking the law. I would advocate breaking the law if, as Samantha says, like, you're not allowed to go and see your girlfriend or boyfriend. It's nuts. It, the whole situation is absolutely and completely nuts. Um, also, if you've never been on dating apps, you have absolutely no idea what dating apps are like. Um, and uh, the one thing I can say about this pandemic is I've lived through it and I've done everything I've been told to do. And uh, um, I'm very, very, very grateful to Spiked. I have to say I'm very profoundly grateful to Spiked for giving me the opportunity to say what's in my soul. And um, and I just I just want to say to them, thank you. Um, because it's it's very hard. It's very it's a very fucking lonely place to be right now. Like my whole life has been taken away, and you may say that's fine. Okay, I'm obeying the law. Um, but um, you know, in terms of soulmates, in terms of what Aristotle said, you know, it's fantastic if you have found the love of your life, and I profoundly congratulate you for doing so. And I'm very happy that you get to have. A husband or a wife and babies and a family some people aren't that lucky and it's not their fault and those people rely on their friends and they rely on their comrades and they rely on all sorts of little human interactions like you know helping a little old lady who looks a little bit lost in the supermarket all of which is criminalized in in now ordinary beautiful behavior is criminalized and um anyway so i'm, I'm sorry to to be so depressed but i i feel extraordinarily depressed all of a sudden and uh, I hope everybody's right and uh, you know things will come back to normal but I don't think they will I don't think they will if, if this is how we feel collectively I don't I don't think I don't think they will 
Uh, I, I think um, many of us share that impression, but don't want to succumb to fatalism. And that's not necessarily what we were discussing tonight. So uh, I think it's just a slightly different angle. But anyway, uh, finally, Ella, your thoughts. Yeah, well, I mean, I think looking at thinking about things fatalistically is always a problem because what it denies is the idea of the ability to change and of agency. And I'm picking up on something that Max Sanderson mentioned, you know, whether or not it's whether or not we kind of have to just address the fact that love has changed, that's not what it used to be. Um, and that maybe we're the ones that are being puritanical. I actually think that love and uh, an intimacy as a value, as a thing, as a belief, um, as, as an emotion that exists hasn't changed. I think it's us that have changed. And that's why I don't share necessarily Emily's pessimism because I think that even though we are living in very dark times and that's not to be understated, but that the, there is the possibility for change here. I mean, and I'm gonna upset Emily even more now by invoking, if she was upset about me talking about Kathy, she's gonna be even more upset now when I talk about Connell and Marianne because one of the more interesting um, moments in the last year or so was the sort of inf infectious joy or obsession with normal people the book by Sally Rooney and the particularly the tv series and that story was in essence the oldest love story that there ever has been which is boy meets girl girl meets boy and they can't quite get the love to work and yet you know it's the greatest love that ever has been and they are absolutely soulmates but they can't quite get it to work I mean Romeo and Juliet, Tristan and Isolde. This is this is kind of the, how love has been depicted in fiction for time immemorial. And the, the reason why I think that's important is because the question at hand is of whether we can have love under lockdown, whether intimacy has failed or is over, is actually a challenge to say, can we reimagine, can we reinvoke, can we reinvigorate what love is about? And actually, can we reassess what the, what how we individually uh, treat love ourselves it's more about what kind of what I've been trying to point to is that I think the problem is really about our sense of self perhaps a trend towards narcissism perhaps a trend towards individuation that the lockdown and the experience of atomization extreme atomization and alienation in the lockdown has brought to the fore but actually that you know and and as a matter of fact just to mention you know love has always come with challenges you know we make a huge deal out of me too and all that kind of thing today but I mean, for example, bad behavior in love has has existed for a very long time. I mean, years gone by, it used to be that, you know, men would flash women sort of far more regularly than they do now. One of my friends who's in the audience has let me know that in the course of this uh, discussion, she's received what's known as a dick pic from someone. So, you know, they're bad. You know, there are certain things that, that failed to change. There's a, you know, people behave badly in love and there are certain trends that, you know, exist still today. But the thing that I'd stress is that in a, what I'd argue is that in a world in which truth has kind of become a dirty word that the, or the pursuit of something being permanent um, or something to strive to has become, you know, it, it's poo-pooed as, as impossible, that actually there is a truth to love. And actually you don't ever realize that truth until you felt it. And I'm not talking about until you fall in love and are happy ever after. I'm talking about you can feel it if it's unreciprocated, but that there is a certain that actually 
and now I'm sounding corny, that one of the things that truly makes us human, and you know, the mention of Mestopheles was, was, I think, very apt, is our capacity to love, and more importantly, actually, to interact with one another, to be social, to be collective, to find meaning outside of ourselves. And so I'm, I'm quite positive about maybe what a learning curve the last um, year might have been, not just for idiot politicians who are being blasé with our uh, social lives, but for ourselves of reevaluating what it is that gives us value. I challenge Chrissy to say that I mean that not love isn't always the answer for everyone, but I kind of put, I think what should be the answer for the modern age or a question at least to ask is how do we define meaning and perhaps a reevaluation of the importance of intimacy in all its forms could give us some answers. Uh, thanks, Alex. So, right. So I hope we haven't depressed anyone other than Emily, and I hope we haven't really depressed Emily um, uh, uh, when she thinks about it, because I actually thought it was quite inspiring, some of those comments, um, a variety of comments. I, I, I quite enjoyed it, and I quite enjoyed actually escaping some of the reality of what I constantly do, which is worry about and complain about the lockdown rules and the concern that I have about civil liberties and so on. So um, I, I think that... that um, Emily's outrage at that is one I absolutely share, but I just quite enjoyed not only discussing it tonight. Um, but can we unmute everyone so we can just thank the, the, the panellists, please, because I'd really like us to show an appreciation. Thank you. Thank you.